Welcome to the Landmark Theatres Film Club podcast. Here, writer-director Dan Fogelman speaks with moderator Scott Mance about his new film, Life Itself, during the film's opening weekend at the Landmark in Los Angeles. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, what did you think of Life Itself? Please welcome writer-director Dan Fogelman. Okay, I, I don't want to just ask you what inspired you to write and direct Life Itself. I would want to ask who were the two people who inspired you to do this? Um, yeah, you know, I've, I've spoken about it a bit. Um, my, uh, I, I just sat down and wrote the movie, honestly, and then when it was done, I realized I'd kind of written it a little bit for my mom, um, who I lost 10 years ago. Very suddenly, uh, very tragically, very unexpectedly. It was, it was kind of as it would say in the movie, it was the body blow that brought me to my knees of my life. And uh, about a year to the day after she died, I met my wife. Wow. And, uh, and so I, didn't, I wasn't consciously writing the film about that or about them, but I think at the end, like I, it saved me going to a therapist to kind of sort it out. It was pretty obvious what I was doing and, so, uh, and what I was chasing. So that was kind of the inspiration, I think. You know, the, uh, the movie looks very effectively at how loss, you know, mourning, Mourning is the process where you, you adjust to the losses of your life. You know, like when do you reach that point, you know, from, from your own experiences in making the movie? Like when's it okay to really like move forward? Well, it's different for everybody, I think. I mean, I had a, I was one of those people in life, I think everybody has different levels of um, loss and tragedy in their adult lives. I had had a very kind of blessed run through my first 30 years. I lost grandparents when they were older. I, and then the last 10 years of my life, I've lost a lot of people suddenly and unexpectedly. Not just my mom, one of my best friends a week ago, um, or a month ago, one of my mentors in a car accident. Um, my roommate from college at 25 years old. And it just wow. was one thing after another. And um, so I become kind of like an expert at writing about losing people, even though I'm terrible at it myself, I think. Um, I think for everybody it's different. There's weird periods and there's periods where I remember after losing my mom, this is the saddest Q&A ever. I remember, <laughs> I remember, I remember after losing my mom, like almost looking down on myself at one point, um, she had passed away in a surgery that I had helped plan. Um, and so I, I describe it as like kind of losing your person in a car accident and you're driving the car and you're watching it happen and you can't stop it. And I remember like looking down on myself, wondering if I would ever come back from it, like very analytically saying, I wonder if I'm ever going to not be sad again. Um, and then that passes with time and you kind of, and so everybody's path is different. People who have experienced loss attached to this film in a different way than people who haven't experienced kind of traumatic loss. And, and I think that's, that's part of the human life cycle. Oof, this is sad. <laughs> well, let's pick it up. Yeah. Um, okay, so I love Bob Dylan. I love Time Out of Mind. I also love Oh Mercy. That's a good, sure. another good recent album or, you know, close to it. But when did you uh, start to feel like you could sort of use that album as a, as a score soundtrack to the film? Well, I, I sat down to write. I literally just wrote the first five pages with Samuel L. Jackson, who I'd never met before. And, uh, and, then, I sent, and then I started, I was listening on my iTunes to the bot, to Time Out of Mind. It came on on like the shuffle. And as I kept going back each day to continue the screenplay, I would return to the album and I kept using more and more. And then at the end, we realized people were going to make the movie and that we had to go get like 12 Bob Dylan songs and Samuel L. Jackson. So, uh, so uh, I sent the script to Samuel L. Jackson first. 
and asked him if he wanted to do it. And he said, literally, he said, like in the movie, he said, motherfucker, you wrote my name in this script. Of course I'm going to do it. <laughs> and that, and that was, he probably said it just like Yeah, that. he did. And, uh, and then we went to Bob Dylan. We sent his camp the script, his friends, his management, and they really responded to it. And then I went to New York and met with them. And then after we'd finished the film, we actually used more Bob Dylan than we had actually like promised and so I had to go back to them send them the film and see if they would allow me to uh, use even more which they did we paid for it um, but not not we you know it was a small film so we did what we could and they were very generous and uh, everybody keeps asking me if Bob Dylan's seen the film yet and I don't his team has his camp has Bob Dylan I always say like he he turns down Nobel prizes I don't know how to get him to a screening of my film but uh, <laughs> but so we'll see so wait wait back up you met Bob Dylan no I met his people ah yeah. <laughs> Damn. Uh, well, still, you got the okay, yeah, so yeah. that's close enough. Yeah. One degree of separation. Um, I guess the, one of the questions I've been really looking forward to asking you is, so, you know, how many of you watched This Is Us? I mean, come on. I mean, like, award-winning. It's like, and when did you have time to write and direct a feature film when you are producing one of the best shows on TV? Yeah, it's been busy. Um, <laughs> I, I did. I had written the film concurrently with the movie a little bit. I had written the film actually like four years ago when I was getting married. And, uh, and then put it aside. It, was, it took me like a year to write it. So I think I started it after filming This Is Us, finished it, I think when This Is Us was being completed and waiting to hear if it would make it onto television. Mm -hmm. um, and, so, and then I, I went and shot it between seasons one and two. So the second season one of This Is Us ended, I went to Spain and New York. And I edited it as I was shooting it, so because I knew I was not going to have time when I came back. Finished editing it when I came back, and then started season two of the show. So it's been really busy, and uh, I promised my wife I would take a break after this. But yeah, it's been a busy couple of years. Bit busy, but a good, a good kind of busy. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, ups and downs. Um, you know the uh, when you when you are working on a show like This Is Us, and you are making a film like Life Itself. In what ways do you see the themes of of the two overlapping, and in which ways did you try to make it different? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't even thinking too much about that because I think, you know, for some reason we uh, we talk about things. We don't talk about like cop movies all being the same, or action movies, or superhero movies. But when it's just stuff about people, some that like that are kind of funny and have emotion, we talk about. We compare a lot. I mean, I think the film has a beginning, a middle, and an end in the way that the TV show does not, which is kind of this unending exploration of these characters. The point of this film was the end of the film with Laya, the mother, talking to the to the son. That was kind of the the reason I made the film. It was a it was a story of these characters to get to that scene, which is the completion point of these characters' story and the message. Um, this is us is a little bit more sprawling and a little gentler. Obviously, there's some really difficult stuff that happens. I mean, difficult stuff happens in our show, but yeah. like. There's a little bit of more of a like kind of like the point of this movie was that life throws some really weird curveballs in your way and some of them can be very sad and very hard. The metaphorically that's symbolized by what's happened to this family over generations. And uh, so I wanted the audience, I wanted this film to be uncomfortable in places for people because if you're going to deliver the message that life brings you to your knees and then you get back up. Um, you need to really hopefully take the audience on a ride in two hours where they really get uncomfortable and they're really unhappy with things that are happening to people in order to earn, hopefully to earn that message. You know, getting back on your feet is tougher than the experience itself that, that put you off your feet. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that's, that's the goal. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, yeah, I think that's the point. 
I, you know, in terms of films that, that the, the, it's the, the structure, the narrative structure is, is I like the sort of structure where the movie sort of, uh, uh, folds back into itself in, in some ways. Like what, what movies or, or shows sort of inspired you to sort of like take that approach? Um, I was a reader growing up. I wasn't allowed to watch a ton of television. I was allowed to pick two hours of TV a week. And uh, which, I mean, we weren't Amish, but like, uh, <laughs> but, and, uh, and, but I was reading a lot. And, uh, uh, and that's what I thought maybe when I started writing, I would try my hand at maybe if I ever did this writing a novel, I never studied screenwriting. And so I think so, in some ways I was influenced by those kind of generational novels that I grew up, like everything from the old English novels to, you know, Hundred Years of Solitude by Marquez and um, some old Ann Tyler novels and these interconnected generational sprawling novels, I think were in my bones a little. Obviously, like Terms of Endearment is a touchstone film for me because not just because of the crying goodbye between mother and child at the end, but also I always loved how that film I mean, that's a very funny movie with big movie star performances and there's a lot of comedy in it and something that's about cancer and losing a daughter. And I always like, I enjoyed that stuff in Cameron Crowe's movies and Jim Brooks and that and wanted to see if I could do something that plays in time and is a little bit darker but still had some of those elements. I want to ask you about, about casting. I mean, uh, Oscar Isaac works a lot. I yeah. mean, but you know, the film also has great performances from Olivia Wilde, Olivia Cook. I mean, just talk about like, Take us through the casting process yeah. of the movie. Well, Oscar was first. Um, I, I got all the actors I really wanted. And um, Oscar was first. And then once you get Oscar Isaac, it makes it easier to get the other actors. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, uh, Annette Benning, I had done a film with Danny Collins. Oscar really wanted her. Um, I didn't think, I didn't know that we'd be able to get an actress of that like, um, fame level and talent because it's a pretty responsive part, mm -hmm. but Annette really wanted to like sit in a room and act with Oscar and she liked the script and wanted to be a part of it. So our first two days, Oscar had no time. Oscar had about a week and a half to shoot the whole movie, which it's not that bad because he's, so, but the way we did that was the first two days of shooting were him and Annette in the therapy office. We did 40 pages in two days. And I just set, I set up the cameras. I, did, I saved everything except the gunshot. And, uh, and we just, it was like watching a stage play. I didn't do anything. I just moved the cameras. I was like, guys, I'm going to move the cameras. Let's do it again. And we did it for two days. We did a couple of takes that went for all 45 pages consecutively without stopping. It was really cool. Wow. Um, and then Annette was almost done after those two days, except for lying on the street. Um, and so, and then Os and so that started with Oscar and Olivia Wilde and Annette wanted to work with Oscar, I think, and they responded to the script. Antonio came on. Olivia Cook, I had done a film, produced a film called Me and Her on the Dying Girl. So I had kind of known her for a while. And they were all really cool. They all, none of them wanted to be the star of the movie. They all wanted to be kind of part of something. Right. And uh, they were all very generous and, and kind. And then the Spanish actors, um, I went to cast them in Spain, I figured. We used an entirely Spanish cast and crew for that portion of the film, and I figured I would go to Spain and do a casting session of the actors. And Laia, the young um, Spanish mother, Isabel, in the film, she had gotten her hands on the script, and she sent me, before I left for Spain, a tape of herself that her husband had filmed doing every scene in the film that her character was in, starting with the, fi starting with the final scene of the movie. And it was the final scene of the movie, it's her husband filming her right here, very much like the end, I mimicked it in the film and you hear her husband crying off camera. And uh, it was the most stunning thing I had, I, I've kept it. And I just called the guy, the producers, and I said, I'm, I'm done, I don't need to see anybody else. And we never saw another actress for that part. I, and I had never heard of her before. Um, and then, so it was a really dream casting process. It was really fun and... and I mean, yeah. the, the uh, storyline with Antonio Banderas, the, the, the Spanish yeah. part of the story, uh, that, that to me, that was the part that um, 
was the most profound yeah. uh, of the film for me anyway. And just uh, you know, like he's just such a superb actor. He never really gets to do yeah. this kind of work before. Well, he's know? such a movie star that people forget what a gifted technical actor he is. He's become such a star. Like uh, yeah. he, uh, but yeah, th there's two scenes in the film. One is Antonio's that are like the most dangerous moments of the film for me as watching with an audience. One is when we go to Spain and change language. And it starts with all these characters you don't know in a 12-minute monologue in Spanish. And I was always very worried um, that I would lose an audience. And when you saw Bandera start doing it, you're like, oh, my God, I've got the perfect guy. He is so compelling that it actually has it. By the time that scene is over, you start, and then I think what I've experienced over the course of the year screening is people go like, oh, I don't like what's happening right now. It's switching again, and it's going to Spanish. And by the end of the scene, people are completely invested in him totally. and, and the relationship. And that's all him. That's all Antonio. The other one is Mandy Patinkin and the little girl, um, because it's the part of the movie where all these terrible things have happened to these two charming people who you've like grown to like so much and you don't know if you'll come back from it and then Mandy and that little girl kind of starts winning the movie back a little bit. Uh, I like the fake out with that scene. Yeah. That was very, very, that was great, you know, some comic. Yeah. Uh, okay, levity, thank yeah. you. Um, but uh, you, you said you shot the film in between seasons of This Is Us. What were the, the biggest challenges in, in making, you know, what really was an independent film? Yeah, we didn't have a lot of time. We shot Spain, all the Spanish stuff was shot in seven days. Um, which is really fast. It was half the movie. Wow. And, um, but we had a lot of time in New York, but not a lot of time with Oscar. So we found ourselves in New York with a lot of time, but nothing to really do. And so we were just kind of walking around waiting and drinking at three o'clock in the afternoon. And then, uh, but, uh, in Spain was really hard and the Spanish was very hard. I'm a high school college level Spanish speaker. Uh, I memorized the script. I had worked with a translator. I memorized it. The crew spoke only Spanish. So I would try to only communicate with them in Spanish, which they thought was funny. And, uh, and, and so that was really challenging. If the, I let my actors improvise quite a bit, not like they're making up dialogue, but I don't, I'm not like demanding that they stay exactly. Some of them do Antonio and Ned, Oscar. Some people are on script exactly and precisely, but if they screw up an, uh, to a, the, or they change a little bit of wording, it doesn't bother me when that starts happening in Spanish. You, I, it's like losing your place in a book because I have it in my head. I know what they're meant to be saying. And then they've changed five words in a sentence and I'm gone. And I'm like, Oh uh, yeah. man, Banderas has a 12 minute monologue and I have to sit here for 12 minutes and I have no idea what he's saying and what he's saying <laughs> at all. And then you kind of get back to the edit bay and you make sure that they're close enough to the language that your English translation is still fitting so that it was all very complicated in Spain it's a complicated film because it plays in so many tones um, but but the thing is like you know with the, doing a weekly show you have to work pretty fast because yeah. you're producing a weekly series so in some ways I guess or I'm, I'm assuming that that speed that doing a weekly show uh, really sort of gave you uh, some good good a good boost to shoot quickly as a feature yeah and i'm not precious in that way because i'm a writer more than a director and by trade so we don't lay any track here at all which is a big time saver everything is handheld often it was just my dp who was a big guy young guy who would put a we called a backpack cam and it was a little camera that would fit in his backpack and give, give him complete mobility mm -hmm. and he'd be like in the bed with oscar and olivia kind of thing you know what i mean and like literally in the dog <laughs> and uh and if you do that, you can kind of just run stuff and keep it natural, and you're not trying to make everything fit a dolly move on a track that has to be timed exactly, that has nothing to do with the performance. And I, for me, it helps also, we do it in both the show and here, it helps for me naturalize the, my heightened 
dialogue, which is very wordy and very romantic. When you're a little bit more free with it, it loosens up the actors and, and makes it feel a little bit more real. Well, I want to take questions from the audience, and there's a couple right up here. So we're just going to give them sure. the mic. Here, you go first. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> believe I'm talking to you. Uh, I just, uh, like, as an aspiring screenwriter, watching your stuff, like, oh, my God, I'm going to cry. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, going back to crazy, stupid love, like, your, um, your stories are just so beautiful and touching and... Um, <laughs> and um why do you do that like why are you making me cry like you know <laughs> i just like what what drives you to get so raw and so because like you know i think i'm a happy person i've gone to so many therapy sessions but like here am i like i'm walking with so much confidence around the world but then like you know i watch something of yours and then I'm like 11 years old again and like going through these problems that, you know, Kate goes through on This Is Us or whatever it is. Like, I'm really fucked up right now. Like, sorry. Like, <laughs> well, there's a good question. <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> well, it's very sweet, I think. I think. And uh, no, I, that's very sweet. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I think, thank you. I think uh, it's also, listen, it's, Clearly, I've had a strange weekend with this film. Um, it's the, the the reviews have been really terrible, which has been a little confounding to a lot of people who have worked on it. But that's okay. But it's okay. And but uh, but I think there's it's partially a reason. I don't think I'm that special. It's it's complicated putting this kind of stuff out in the world right now. Um, and so I think I I think that that's probably why these couple of things that have come out are, are doing it too because there's not a lot of it because it's a complicated thing to get made it's a complicated thing to do it's a complicated thing to kind of exist in a world that kind of like doesn't reward it all the time and so and so i think that that's not about me or anything i think that we just need more of it potentially i think we probably could use a little bit more kindness in the in the world as well but that's i think you had a question too that's Wait, very sweet I'll, I'll thank you um, since you're versed, I won't cry. I promise. Okay, okay. Since you're versed in in both, I was just wondering what you what you see more as an art form, whether it's television or film. I I love them both. I mean, I I, I want to write a book or try and do a musical. I like kind of shaking things up. What's great about TV is I don't like on the show. I don't get bored because we constantly are telling a new story, and we have the flexibility on that particular show, where from week to week it's completely different. We might just do something with one character. We might do something that's three characters. So television is very rewarding in this way. Film is exhausting only in that you spend two years, multiple years making one thing and then it all kind of comes and goes. Like I was, we were just speaking about Danny Collins, my first film I directed. And it, it was this little film that I spent years of my life and I really loved it and it went through the ups and downs on a weekend like this. But like I've almost, it's then it's gone and like I don't go back and watch any, you know, watch anything and you hope it lives on but right. and I'm thinking about how I was consuming my life back then the way this is consuming my life now and then you snap your fingers and it's gone TV has a way when it's lasting and when it's really working of kind of evolving and evolving and evolving that feels very special um, but I love them both I really do um, th this is us has been such a pleasure because people are watching it like so many people are, are watching it that you actually feel like it heightens what you're doing because you're like, Oh crap. If I make a decision that people are going to hate, like a lot of people are going to hate it. <laughs> and so that, that makes it very exciting and very fun. Uh, yes. You. Uh, yep. You. Okay. So I'll give you the other side. I 
read the review and thought, oh my God, I haven't read a review like this since Howard the Duck. <laughs> okay? I have to tell you, the review was generous. I was a therapist for 30 years. You need to go see one because that was a, that was, it bothered me. No therapist would have a license if they acted like her. Um, it's not a documentary. I, uh, it's not a documentary, but it, 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 it was kind of, it was sort of having a doctor movie and he does it with a blindfold. Well, it's, um, it's interesting. Oh, sorry. So, so I guess the one thing after I saw this, I thought, and I read the article, and I haven't watched This Is Us, but I know people like it, but I'm old enough to be your grandfather. And I sort of thought, wow, must be a thing about old Jewish ladies who give you, like, statues to send back east. And I think that I would want to make one suggestion as a former social worker who just saw this movie. Take the 10 million you made on it and set up a foundation for homeless women. Because truly, homelessness among women and children is growing. Do you have a question? That's, That's the question. That's the question. Well, uh, I guess. Tone for this movie because I thought this was good. <laughs> Well, that's okay. I will. I will tell you though, and, and, and to, I'll, I'll make a false answer to a, a question. Uh, but I, I will say that uh, we did do some research, and it was funny. It, it is funny you say it though, because we did we we did a Q and A last night at a different theater, where a woman got up who was a trauma therapist, and did feel that it was, uh, and as well as a friend of mine who had kind of helped me on the film, and did feel it was like really accurate of the nightmare situation where somebody reads something kind of incorrectly in a place in a person's in a person's recovery and kind of gets it wrong. We had tried to do it honestly. I'm sorry you didn't feel that way, but we did, we did try, to, try to do it on, in an honest way. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, I, if, I, if I was to say something back to you, um, I would say I'm mystified by, by somebody who would speak so uh, like uncomfortably to somebody publicly like that. that. I think it's part of a symptom of something weird going on in our world right now, where I can't imagine saying that to a stranger. But I'm sorry it offended you. All right, you have a question? Yeah, I do. Okay, here you go. Um, hi, great hi. film, I loved it. And um, my, I have a serious question, but I just wanna say something about Rotten Tomatoes, which is I saw that story and I went and read the um, comments and you have the 13, but not of real viewers, you have a 77. So the rating's actually really high if you, yeah. if you look in a little sense. deeper. So I thought it was great. Um, my question is about your career and how the work that you did led up to this. Um, specifically the writing and directing as opposed to being a writer solely for a long time. Thank you. Um, for, for my career, I just, you know, I've kind of gone, I've had a really weird path. I got very lucky very quickly. My training ground was up at Pixar where I wrote my second screenplay was Cars. Um, and, and so, oh, yeah. No, but, yeah, but that was literally, I had, I got great agents and people who were here and they sent my script to a first script I'd written and it got me that job. So I got to learn up there and write all these animated films. I never really had an interest in directing. Uh, for me, it's always been, there's been two stories now in my life that I had written that I couldn't fathom not being the main storyteller of. And so for me, it was less about wanting to t talk about what lens I'm gonna use on a camera or need, well, like, I don't love being on set at five o'clock in the morning or five, you know, in the hot, in the very hot or the very cold. For me, it was more, there were a couple of times with a couple of stories that I really felt the need to tell the way I wanted to tell it. Um, so that kind of la leads me. And sometimes there's things where I love writing it as a script, but I'm very comfortable giving it to somebody else or helping somebody else create it um, and be in charge of it. Uh, got time for one more? Yes, you. That, I was pointing to you. Yes, you. <laughs> I was pointing to you. <laughs> I was pointing to you, and the other guy started talking. What's your question? That was my father, by the way, so <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> 
for having uh, having written a dialogue-driven film. You know, I'm I'm getting old, and I don't want to see cars blowing up. And things. <laughs> I love a great story, and and I feel like I, I can really see the influence of Gabriel Garcia Marquez in in some of your work, and it was just wonderful to see. Uh, you know the filming in Spain and and that transition. I love foreign films. Um, you you capture family and story and drama and tragedy so well. Can you convince Ken Olin to do sixty something? Even if even if it's a new cast, you know thirty something people are living at home with their parents now. The sixty something parents, you know they they have life stories to tell, and we don't really get to see a lot of that. And I think it would be a really great multi-generational thing. I, I agree. It's a very good idea. Yeah. Um, I'm tweeting at both. All right. Tweet. Ken, Ken's on Twitter 24 hours a day, so he'll see it. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's get one more question. That's yes, you. Sweet. You. You. Yes, you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Ben. What an honor to oh, meet you, you. The work that you do for thinking people, emotional feeling, especially women, Maybe Jewish women. I don't know. <laughs> I just want to thank you so much. And Olivia Wilde had a, had a one line in the beginning of the movie where she said to him, to uh, uh, Oscar, she said, I don't know if I can be loved this much. Yeah. Um, that just, I was on the floor. I mean, I, I don't know if I can handle this much love from somebody who grew up healthy to somebody who didn't. Yeah. Somebody who didn't. I don't know if I can love them. Thank you. That thank you. All right. Who has a question? I need a. I need That's a question. Right. No, you. this is bucking okay. me up. This you is good. I need this. All right. Here. Here. Take it away. Thank you. Um, when you when you are um, balancing so many tones, how do you go about balancing them? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think a lot of it happens in uh, you have to just trust your meter and your your own personal radar um, An example would be that Mandy Patinkin scene when I was talking about with the little girl and all the decisions you make after the suicide in the film You know that that's going to be a body blow for the audience a surprising blow that that is not going to be your the so you're trying to put yourself with the audience. What I tried to do is hold that shot for 20 seconds. Hopefully the audience is going, is this a weird narrative trick? What the hell is going on here? Oh my God, is this real? Did this really just happen? And then it goes to her daughter. So now you've, process, you've used that 30 seconds of screen time to help the audience process something. Then you kind of create, you put, bring in a song and you create a montage of the young girl's life because you're giving the audience a, both a, a kind of the saddest palate cleanser of all time. So what, by the time you get to Mandy and the little girl, you're ready for that kind of, has anybody seen Nanette on Netflix, the stand-up special? It's the most brilliant thing I've seen like in five years on a screen. It's a document, it's a stand-up special by like a New Zealand Australian comedian. Um, and it's unbelievable. And she talks a lot about what comedy is and what it's, it's basically built, you build up tension and then the punchline is the release. And it, I don't want to tell you anything about the special. You really should see it. It's a, uh, but so for, for that scene, for instance, Mandy had takes where he was really emotional and the acting was beautiful, but I felt like the film right there couldn't take anymore. And we needed to have a kind of softer hand right there so the comedy could pop through a little. And he also had a beautiful performance that was in the middle and you just try and ride that wave. Your meter is going to be different than everybody else's and, and you just have to trust it. You, I watch the movie with audiences quite a lot to feel where I'm losing people, um, to see when 
when people start going to the bathroom, you know what I mean? And, and you you hopefully feel that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know, now that you've seen life itself, spread the word, go on Twitter, go on Instagram, go on Facebook, <laughs> spread the word about life itself. Thank Dan you, Fogelman, Very sweet. And Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Landmark Theaters Film Club podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to hear Q&As with talent from new independent films opening at the Landmark. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of these Q&As and more exclusive content. See you next time.